This is Fran McGarry, PhD and podcast host of First Online with Fran, advocating the power and promise of the arts to make our world a richer, deeper, kinder place to live. My guest today is Karen Cecilia, she, her, hers, playwright, screenwriter, director, who strives to engage audiences through her writing, provoke thought about the world around us, and create a new narrative through her characters who don't usually fall into the standard conventions of the past. One such example of her undertaking is her play, one of my favorites. It's called Perfectly Normal. And it's about this wealthy Connecticut family whose world is turned upside down when the father is accused of inappropriate misconduct. Mm-hmm. Uh, his daughter, a television journalist, raises her concerns to which he tells her to dismiss these accusations. Oh, do it for your mother, for this family. Don't you want to help us all out? <laughs> sound familiar? This powerful play examines the Me Too movement and the emotional strain of when family loyalty and conscience collide. Now, we have less than two weeks away. The 2020 midterm elections have begun with record-breaking early voting. But a new normal has emerged, espousing false truths and misinformation. The 2020 election was stolen. You know, there are over 100 candidates who are running for both the House and the Senate who are election deniers. Some of them who are even part of the conspiracy to overturn the election with alternate slates. We have a candidate like Herschel Walker, who's running for the Senate in Georgia, denies paying for an abortion, and yet advocates pro-life under any circumstances. We also got uh, white supremacist, Christian, whatever you want to call him, Doug Mastriano, who's running for governor, governor in PA, Pennsylvania, and he proposes to ban all abortions. We, ha- I mean, we have candidates spewing lies and mistruths about what happened on January 6th. This is our new normal. Well, that's why Karen's play, Perfectly Normal, presently speaks to us. This is what's going on in our country, where there should be absolute condemnation of basic, decent behavior. There is not. The new normal is to remain silent and allow this invective behavior to continue. I know, I'm emotional about this. Welcome, Karen. Glad to have you on the show. Thank you, Fred. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really honored and excited about our conversation. Well, I can't wait. So uh, this past Sunday mm-hmm. in the op-ed section of the New York Times, October 23rd, uh, Michelle Goldberg wrote this column and commented on how Tar, that new mo- movie, she talks about cancel culture and how all of this flux and uncertainty is very fertile territory for art. Hmm? She posited how, quote, hysteria 
about the cancel culture can encourage artistic timidity by overstating the cost of probing taboos. In truth, there's a hunger out there for work that takes the strangeness of this time and turns it into something that transcends polemic, unquote. So my first question to get us started here. How does your artistic vision similarly view these times as fertile territory for art? Well, I I was thinking a lot about that during the pandemic when we all had a long moment to pause in our lives and start really reflecting on ourselves, what we want for the future. And, you know, if you're an artist, you're kind of always doing that, I believe. But when, you know, the last two years, you had plenty of time to do that. I hope that coming out of the pandemic, people will kind of reawaken what made them want to be an artist and take all that time and go forward However, what worries me about, you know, this cancel culture is during that time, with that said, you know, thinking about what do you want to say and why do you do this and why do we have this challenging career? And the business part of it is the challenging part, not the, not the creation of it, but the business that, that we want um, that artists are going to consider stifling themselves for fear because we know this cancel culture is out there and and because it's already hard enough to exist as an artist if you're freelance or you have to have a day job and and, you know you have some kind of a life outside there (laughs) and you have to fit your art in in between that that it's already all the cards are stacked against you to then censor yourself because you're afraid If I say something, it can be construed the wrong way, even if you didn't mean it or if the intention was was not clear or it it just takes one person to kind of start a a wave. Uh, It can really, you know, hurt not only the artists individually, but the arts overall. And I think the conversation needs to shift away from the artist and to what the intention of the work is. And that, and if you are not going to agree with the work, not the artist, the work, then you have multiple choices uh, to not buy it, not see it, not click on it, whatever, not go visit it, but to still to actually re-examine the work. And also, I think, to re-examine yourself about what bothers you so much about it. And to that, why it doesn't bother you. Right. You know? Right. This is what infuriates me and enrages me. The the obvious is clear. Yeah. And is it though? <laughs> Maybe it's uh, not. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, there you go. And it and it should be. And so going back to my original question, oh. for this is all fertile territory for art. Yeah. So you're like a hyphenated artist. Mm. Of those hyphenated fields which one do you find best facilitates maybe not even best you know it could just be which one kind of channels that creative energy 
and take something that you want to say and mm-hmm. say it. Well, I, I have always felt like a playwright, first most. I Even though I do other things as screenwriting and I've been slowly getting to directing music videos, which I love because I love musicians and I do dabble in some music stuff a little bit. I always think as a playwright. I think in dialogue. I think in action. And it filters into everything else. So when I think of doing art, it always comes first as a play. Maybe then it manifests while I'm working through it as some other uh, format because it just may be better told that way or or shown that way. But I always think of myself as a playwright. I'm the person who's listening to conversations on the on the subway for good dialogue. And when I hear something good, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna steal that. Shut <laughs> that down, right? We that's what we do as playwrights is we we steal our work from real life. Talking about stealing, what was a what was one little stolen idea? or chip of a thought, you know, like, where does it go? Like, how does that germ, that's going to be a play one day, like perfectly normal. Great title. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't the original title. Yeah, (laughs) The original title was uh, Mea Culpa. So it had one reading at at La Mama, great theater downtown in Manhattan uh, under that name. But the, the title was always too kind of general. And I didn't, I didn't, you know, titles are really hard to come up with because they have to say so much and so little, but um, you know, as I was rewriting and doing the rewriting, which is more rewriting than actual the first draft, and perfectly normal came up, and the director that I was working with at the time said, "Oh, that's I can already see the poster for it with that title." I was like, "Okay, that's the right title." Then. But it is also how we normalize, you know, toxic behavior of any type in our lives and we justify it and qualify it and it just becomes normal. Yeah. So did you ever think that it would be something that we need to hear today in these times in midterm elections? Yeah. I mean, I, when I first wrote it or conceived of the idea, I thought that it would be, and not always relevant. And sadly it is still relevant. It it did come from the impetus of Brett Kavanaugh being sworn on. And when he did, um, the reaction, the body language of his wife, it's great. You can watch it on YouTube, the video. When I saw that, I said, oh, this woman has a story. She's not said any words, but her body language said so much. And that was where the the seed of the idea. And I thought, what is her story? What is she not saying? Because she's not a public person. She's not a politician. People are not interviewing her for her, you know, her background or anything. Um, She's the wife of him. And so I thought, what's her story? But I'm sure it's not just her story. I'm sure this is a lot of women's story who don't have the voice and you know that's hopefully what we do with art is give the the voice to someone or something or some issue that doesn't have enough of a voice yeah so are you going to do another production of this play um yeah i would like to i i want to work on a rewrite of a couple of scenes to be honest but yes i'm still you know shopping around so anyone who's a producer please reach out what kind of fertile territory are you trotting upon now what kind of good trouble are you going to make there's this is a a a daunting thing but there's 
so much to write about because of the state of the world right now. There is just so many issues to tackle. It almost becomes hard to even narrow down of what do I want to address? The environment, the injustice in the world, uh, refugees, the war. Oh my God, there's, uh, it, it's, I don't have a lifetime to write all the things it's that I can daunting. Heard. Yeah, it's daunting. So what's kind of swirling around in that head of yours now? Um, something swirling around. I, I don't want to talk too much about it, but something's yeah. swirling around about uh, a play that does have to touch on the environment. So I think that is something that um, I've always wondered about environmental plays because they really kind of are challenging to write without seeming like contrived, the scenario. But I think I've thought of one <laughs> and, um, and I'm going to start, uh, I'm workshopping it at the actor Studio, which I'm a member of the- Oh, that's great. The Studio. Yeah. Oh boy, that's that's the best place. So I'm looking forward to going to that reading, or yeah. I can audition for it. Plug. Always oh, the actor. Yeah. You know, to the actor studio. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, we're both teachers, and mm-hmm. uh, I taught high school theater for 30 years, and parents used to ask me to discourage their really? kids. Yeah. yeah. To the point where I even had a parent bribe me because I had, you know, I didn't mean to have that. I, I just had tremendous influence over these kids yeah. as a role model. And I remember having one kid walk up to me, you know, and said, should I do this? And I said, only if you can't exist without it. Yes. Can you breathe air without it? And I said, just, just think about that. And one of the students who asked me that, I said, yes, Edie Falco is a pretty good uh, success story. (laughs) You know, I saw her recently at a fundraiser and she took my face and she held my face and she said, (laughs) you were the first person to say yes. So I know we're putting our students in this thing that we call making art and how do we channel that how do we give them the real substance of what I know you're you're te- you teach at uh, a number of universities yeah yeah I approach <laughs> my students uh, my playwriting students uh, the kind of the way that I believe it was Martha Graham after when she meets a new class uh, what she did, you know, they would all do a dance combination. And she would say, I'm so sorry to tell you. And, you know, all of them would be terrified. Oh, my God, what am I going to get cut? Like, what's happening? And she would say, I'm so sorry to tell you that some of you in this room are destined to be dancers. And I apologize. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. And- and I, I think that sums up exactly what I do in my in my playwriting classes or even in any of the writing classes that I apologize for um, for making some of them really passionate, good writers, um, because I know that the journey they will be on business wise and maybe making a living will be a, ch- a challenging one. But and they will always have the feeling that they need to write. Yeah. But that's the kind of maybe it's the blessing and the curse at the same time yeah Um, yeah yeah. well thanks to Steven Sondheim he had 
created a program for young playwrights called the Young Playwrights Festival, to which I was the director of instruction. I ended up writing my dissertation on it and its amazing playwriting curriculum. It's one of a kind. I am biased for a good reason. And um, I started to write a book called From Their Voices about the writing curriculum. Yeah. But then I realized how the writing exercises could also facilitate opening conversations about the divisive culture we live in. And so I'm writing a book. And like you said, going back, I don't think I would have given the time and energy, but it was during the pandemic that I felt my creativity blossomed. Did you have a similar experience? Yeah, I, I did. Well, it went in waves. So first I did have a blossoming of creativity and I started hosting poetry events safely, very safely when it was a, when I was able to in a backyard in, in a place in my neighborhood so we could be outside and limit and social distance and all that stuff. So that really sparked something new in me of this kind of producer aspect. So that was, and then as the second year went on, I, I did feel a little bit of like a downturn of, oh, I feel like at some point we're never getting out of this because like almost the first year was like, keep busy. The second year started to be like, oh, uh, huh. Is like, is everything going to ever go back to some kind of form of whatever it was before, if we could call that normal to put a label on it. But so talk about another new normal. So it did both things for me. It kind of blossomed new ideas for me of, of producing and getting back into some kind of musical aspect. Yeah. And it made me rethink those things. But going back to what you're saying with students is I find with their writing or in any of the kind of classes that it becomes therapeutic also for them, that a lot of the classes feel that it's not therapy. And of course, it's definitely not. I'm not a therapist, but it does. I feel a release valve in them when we're in class. You know, that's such a good point because we see art as a healing mechanism, but it's also a healing mechanism for the artist as well. Oh, and, yeah. You know, why we keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, we wouldn't, we shouldn't be called uh, playwrights. We should just be called play rewriters. Yeah. <laughs> rewriters. Because, well, we'll, yeah. And we think about playwriting as being wrought, bended, and molded. And, and that's what we're so good at. Yeah. And you're so good at what you do. To wrap this up, oh my gosh, I feel like we just got started. I could talk for a half hour. But I always love to have my listeners wanting more. And I'd like to give you an opportunity to kind of close with what is this fertile territory that we speak of? And why is it so important for you to do the amazing work that you're doing? It's really important because it's we're in a, a time where uh, we are seeing new voices, new types of voices telling their stories, and and people create their identity through seeing themselves reflected in work, in all art, in literature, in, in any aspect. And if you don't see yourself reflected ever, then think of how that impacts your life, and not only in character, but the narratives, usefulness. Um, in all these ways. And so that's what I, I hope to continue to create. And not only if I can't create it, but foster it in other people. I think that's the best part about teaching. Yeah. Is, yeah. You know, they're not 
all successful per se, but that you've successfully tapped into that voice. And we look forward to hearing more from your voice and your projects in the future. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Francis. Thank you. This has been wonderful. Find out more about what Fran is up to. Go to her website at firstonlinewithfran.com. This program was produced by March Hair Media and recorded at Wheat Sheet Studio Productions.